Well, last week, if you were here, if not, uh, it'd be great if you want to catch it online. Um, just before Phil came up to teach, uh, Kevin, uh, one of our elders, shared with us just kind of the state, uh, state of the church, if you want to call it that. Um, but he just was uh, speaking on our behalf, the elders, to share with you just kind of what's been on our hearts uh, as a church and as the, the church elders, and just kind of coming out of this pandemic and the difficult um, year that we had last year and lots of remnants of that coming into this uh, new year, of course. And we have kind of sensed a bit of a, we've become stagnant, we've become kind of um, dulled in a, in a way. And we have been praying and discussing this. And so we wanted to just share with you last week, that's what Kevin did, just kind of what's on our hearts and how God is um, seems to be stirring. And I'm sure this has a lot to do with the women who are praying every Sunday morning. Thank you, ladies. Um, but stirring in us, and I think in this church, uh, of what is ahead. Uh, and we, we, we just kind of sense that there's a... There's a a reset happening. Now, I think there's a reset happening in all of America in in, in the churches. But we we feel like there's a kind of a a reset, a recalibration taking place here. And honestly, we're embracing that. We really are. And we are humbly submitting ourselves to the Lord to say, Lord, whatever it is, whatever needs to change, whatever needs to um, be done differently, whatever direction... Uh, and resetting of our course we need to do, we want to do it. We want to be faithful to what you show us. Um, And so he shared uh, kind of how we honed in on one particular um, purpose statement. We have three purpose statements. You can see them on our website, but there's one in particular that we, we felt like was really important for this time, this season. And the reason is because the other two will then naturally flow out of that place. So we felt like this, this one statement is actually the third one listed on our um, little purposes of, uh, purpose of our church. It's the third one, but it, we actually felt like this is the one that we really need to kind of focus on and ho- hone in on for this season and for however long, and, and the other two will take care of itself. Uh, the, the statement is this, just to make you aware of it. We exist to raise up spiritually passionate followers of Christ. And we felt like this really is what this church, what we need to focus on. Because when we are passionately following Christ, the other two, which is to worship God and to reach the lost, will naturally flow from within. It will naturally flow out of us. As a matter of fact, you won't be able to stop us from doing those other two. The worship will flow. The reaching the lost will flow because our hearts will be overflowing with passion for following Christ. And so I thought, well, let's take a little bit of time as a church to focus on this right here. And this applies to any church, the church uh, as a whole, the worldwide church, but also every individual church, because we are called by Christ to follow him 
And in this world and in this time, if we try to do that without passion, it's going to make no impact on the world around us. So let's dig into this a little bit so that we can be in unity on it. We can be on the same page. So raise up spiritually passionate followers of Christ. Let's do it this way. I'm going to break it into these three parts, and we're going to do it in reverse. We're going to start with the end of it, followers of Christ, and then spiritually passionate, and then raise up. So followers of Christ. I actually like this phrase when it's used to describe Christians. The reason I like it much better than Christians is because it communicates action. It communicates doing. It's following Christ. There's an active part of this that I like. Christian doesn't quite capture and and can it has become such a cultural thing, such a, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I live in South Carolina. I'm a Christian. Um, it can be so easy to even to say, but follower of Christ, now you're talking about an action. Now you're talking about a lifestyle of doing, of following someone. So I like that. If you were to look at a definition of follower, and of course, it's even more frustrating today with social media, everyone's following everyone. And this, this term really kind of loses some of its punch. But forget all of that social media stuff, okay? Just forget that. It's nothing to do with what we're talking about when we talk about followers. So if you look in a dictionary, you will see something that looks like this. Follower. And there's these three, I I really like this. It's one in the service of another, one that follows the opinions or teachings of another, and one that imitates another. And that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about follower of Christ. And in Scripture, you see disciple being used a lot, and these two things can be used interchangeably. Disciple, follower of Christ. A disciple in the biblical times was a follower. That person would follow the one in whom they are wanting to serve, to learn their opinions and teachings, and to imitate them. I read something interesting in, a, in an article called In the Dust of the Rabbi, by Edward Sree, and he writes this, to follow a rabbi meant living with the rabbi, sharing meals with him, praying with him, studying with him, and taking part in the rabbi's daily life. A rabbi's life was meant to be a living example of someone shaped by God's word. Disciples, therefore, studied not just the text of scriptures, but also the text of the rabbi's life. And I thought that was a brilliant explanation of what it meant to be a disciple. And that's what it means to be a disciple now, today, with us. 
Now, Jesus, when he was here, he, he called people to follow him. And, and I love it. It was such a simple call. Often when you see it in scripture, just two words, follow me. When he called Peter and James and John, he said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, their boats, their family, and followed him. It's interesting that scripture says immediately. They literally dropped what they were doing and began following him. When he called Matthew, Matthew who was a tax collector, it said that he immediately left his tax booth. So here he is in the midst of his job, and it was a lucrative one, let me add. It paid very well. He wasn't very liked by the people, but it paid very well. And he immediately left his tax booth. He left that source of income and began following Jesus. But Jesus didn't make it easy in the sense of not explaining to them what's entailed in following him. And I'm glad that he didn't. And it helps us to remember the cost with following Jesus. So here's a few examples where Jesus made that clear in Luke 9, 57 through 62. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Now, just so you know, this doesn't mean his dad was laying there dead and the corpse needed to be buried. His, his father was old and was coming to the end of his life and he wanted to wait and bury his father. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, let First, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, those are some hard words to say to people who are actually wanting to follow you, wanting to learn what you're teaching, wanting to learn about how you um, function, how you interact, wanting to learn all about you for the purpose of then repeating that. But, but what they were wanting to do were not bad things. It's, it was very important to honor your parents when they passed by giving them a proper funeral. It was very important to... Uh, love your family and at least explain to them what you're planning to do, where you're going. Those are not bad things. But Jesus makes it clear that if you're not willing to give even those things up, then you're not fit to follow me. It can be hard to read those things. But I'm also reminded about where Jesus shares as well to Follow me because my burden is easy and my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he knew that to follow a rabbi 
A lot of people knew that that was a very tough thing to do. And with the Pharisees, it was very rigid. And Jesus clarified what, was, what it was like to be following him. Now, Jesus is no longer with us in bodily form. So following him in the same way looks a little different. But his call to follow him still goes out to each of us. So what does that look like to follow the resurrected Christ? The church is now, as we've said many times, the body of Christ. The church worldwide as a whole, but every individual church, life point church, is the body of Christ to those around us in this area. We are the body of Christ. And we see that in Scripture repeated uh, many times. Oh, sorry. I skipped a couple of passages. Um, let me just go on. Actually, let me not. I'm sorry. Let me rewind. I, I want to go back because I, I want to read some other examples of what Jesus said to those who were wanting to follow him. In Mark 8, 34 through 36, he says, uh, it says, Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And one more, in Matthew 10, verse 34 through 39, it says, this is Jesus talking. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Very, very difficult words to hear. And actually, we see that many, many followers of his turned away at times where they would hear these difficult sayings and no longer follow him. But as I was saying, we are the body of Christ. Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, all of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. He had just described the body being made up of many parts, something that we uh, really need to grasp and understand so that we will treat each member of this body with the proper respect and care. It's mentioned again by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. It says, he says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere 
with himself. And again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul writes, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So, clearly, as the body of Christ, with Jesus no longer here in bodily form, we have now become the body of Christ. We know that together we are a temple for His presence. The Holy Spirit dwells with us. And therefore, we are able to go out and be Christ to the world. This church, LifePoint Church, is able to be Jesus Christ to those in the Greenville area and elsewhere. Liz will be going all over, but she's being sent out from this body. She's going from a place where she's been being built up, being encouraged, being sharpened, to then be shot out, so to speak, and to do the work of Christ, of being the body of Christ to other people. In Acts, we have something that's very interesting. It's a model set forth for us, because if we want to think, what is it like to follow the resurrected Christ, we can actually look at what the early church did after Christ had ascended to heaven. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So this is right after the Holy Spirit had descended and fallen upon the 120 Uh, disciples and followers of Christ in the upper room, and they had been baptized into the Holy Spirit and had overflowed with uh, prophetic words, with tongues, uh, unknown languages that they did not know, that many in, uh, in earshot of them were hearing them in their own native language from all over. It was such a uh, spectacle, so to speak. People thought they had been drinking. But the power of God fell on them. And Peter steps forth in the new boldness that he has. Yes, this is the same Peter who just, just days earlier denied Christ three times. But now, empowered by the Spirit of God, steps forth and speaks directly to these people who had just recently crucified the Christ. And speak boldly he did. And it says that his words cut them to the heart. And the people who were there, these are people who had just previously been yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And now they're cut to the heart and they say, brothers, what should we do? And Peter explains to them, repent, 
be baptized in water, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and then receive the Holy Spirit that God has promised to all people. And we see that the church then was birthed in that moment. It says that 3,000 were added to their numbers. And then it gives us this verse. This is what they then began doing as the body of Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now we can take that right there and break it into those four things. The apostles' teaching, what was the apostles' teaching? We know that the apostles, who were the followers of Christ, the original, the first followers of Christ when he was actually here on this earth, the disciples, they taught what Jesus taught them. They taught what they had seen and heard. They saw him doing, they experienced doing it as Jesus sent them out, first the 12, then the 70 or 72, sent them out. They saw the miracles. They saw the the power of God working with them and through them. These are the apostles who are now teaching what they had learned by following the rabbi, sleeping with him. They basically camped together for three years and learned his ways, learned his opinions, learned his teachings, learned how he interacted with people. And, and they, this rubbed off on them. And they learned also to imitate Christ because that's what it means to be a follower of someone. And so these are the apostles who are now teaching the new believers coming into their body. And the believers devoted themselves to them and to their teaching. So that's what it looks like, what we're doing right now. The fact that you and you online are listening to the teaching of Christ, listening to the teachings of the apostles. When we, when we teach from Scripture, we're teaching what the apostles taught. We're teaching what the apostles later taught and wrote in their letters. We are teaching what the apostles taught. So you being here, listening, you are devoting yourself, yourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what... That's what we're doing by being here. So, good job. Check on that one. That's why it's important that we are devoted to the gathering and we shouldn't be neglecting it. It doesn't mean that you can't be in God's Word. You need to be in God's Word. You need to be studying it for yourself. But there is something about us coming together and listening to the teaching, devoting ourselves to that teaching. We have got to get this so into us. We need to be seeing it. We need to be hearing it. And we need to be practicing it and seeing others practice it. That's how you become a true disciple. That's how you follow Christ. The other thing is fellowship. 
they began to devote themselves to fellowship, to the fellowship. In other words, all of those believers as the body coming together, that fellowship, and to fellowship as in being among one another. And if you spend any time at all reading God's, uh, reading Jesus' teachings, you quickly begin to understand how much and see how much he emphasized this new command that he said, I have a new command for you. All the, the, the old commands, love your God, the, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those still stand, but here's a new command. Love one another. He's talking about the brethren, the, the body, the, 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 the believers. Love one another. And he was so passionate about stressing that to his followers. This was, this was truly on his heart. Even to the end, you, you read it in John 14, 15, 16, and in that prayer of, uh, in chapter 17 to God. But he, it, was just, it was on his heart for us to love one another. He even said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. So the fellowship... And I do think this is probably one of, the, one of the things where the American church especially, so that includes us, we struggle with this one because we're not very good at community and at um, loving one another. We're not very good at um, living life together. Now, I'm not faulting us, all of us, because our culture promotes that, the absence of that. Our culture is just really not um, supportive of that type of living. So all that means is we have to be more intentional. We have to be intentional about doing this important second point of fellowship together, of being together, of living life together, of gathering together. The third, I love actually, the breaking of bread. Now this includes, and you can have people debate it, well, this is talking about just normal meals. Oh no, this is talking about the Lord's Supper. Yes, yes, it's both. It's the breaking of bread. It's coming together over a meal. Listen, that's, I've told the elders, hey, the easiest way to get to know at least for men, I'm sure it's like that with women too, but is to, to have a meal together. Let's go get some, some good Thai food or, um, you know, some barbecue or something. I'm in South Carolina. Barbecue. We used to get some barbecue. But sitting together and breaking bread together is actually something God has ordained for us to do. Now, it's, not, it's something that we should be doing as a, as a body, as a fellowship, and it's breaking bread, it's having meals together, and it's also having the Lord's Supper together and remembering what he has done. Remembering together what he has done for us and how he has made all of this possible for us. So the breaking of bread, which I love. And by the way, we are starting our breaking bread again um, soon. We're going we're gonna to kick that off towards the end of the summer. So um, but that's, 
that is an important part that Jesus even modeled for us in, in his meals with his disciples. And lastly, prayer. Now, this is the other thing I think is very, very difficult for the American church today. There's just so much competing for our attention. So many things are pulling us in different directions. So much of of technology now is to pull us away and to to put us in this isolated um, place of just being consumed by the screens. It's, it's unfortunate, but we don't have to be victim to this. We don't have to just go along with where our society is going. And it's sad because I feel like young people are, don't even really know what it was like before we had smartphones and chat and email and all these things. Of course, email's archaic nowadays, you know. It's, nobody does email anymore. It's all the instant stuff. So, but it's, it's sad in a way because we're losing the ability to even fellowship. We're forgetting what that's even like and how to do that and how to do that well. It's not, it's something that actually has to be practiced. Loving one another and doing that well takes work. Some of you are lovable. Others, I'm kidding. I'm one of the others. And I've, my wife has done a great job working on me. She has. But prayer is, is something that we have, we have, I shouldn't say we, but many have forsaken. And I think as a church, as a body, corporate prayer is something we definitely have forsaken. Now, some, some churches are doing that well. And I think churches in other countries and other cultures probably do that much better than we do. But here, and I'm talking about here, even LifePoint Church, we've got to learn what this means and how to get back to this. Because if we want to see change, if we want to see the power of God moving among us, it is not going to happen without this point right here. It is not going to happen without prayer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit responds to those who are hungering and thirsting for God. And if we are not hungering and thirsting for God, you know, I've heard people say, almost kind of like they get offended when we might say something like, we invite the Holy Spirit to be here among us. And they'll say something like, don't you know the Holy Spirit's with us always? And that, why why are you doing that? Like there's going to be something different about after you invite him. And can I just say this, without offending anyone, those people have not experienced the presence of God in a real way. Now listen, I'm not trying to be uh, controversial, but when someone experiences 
the presence of God, like we see in scripture, where he, it's like he walks into a room, you're, you're going to know it. And if you don't know it, and there's other people around you who do know it, you need to start checking yourself and say, what's going on? Because it's not happening. And if you think that the Holy Spirit will only move on everyone or no one at all, you're wrong. We see in Scripture the Holy Spirit falling on people and then not on some. Simon the sorcerer said, let me buy that power of when the Holy Spirit falls on someone by the laying on of hands. I see that happening. Let, let, let me pay you to teach me how to do that. And it was clear that the Holy Spirit had been falling on those people in front of him, but not on him. And out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke. And Peter then saw the truth and reality of where his heart was. And he said, you need to go back and repent. You need to go back to the beginning and repent because you didn't do that part sincerely. And so I I just don't have time for people who are going to say things like that. Listen, you can live in that world if you want. I don't have time for that. Have you seen what's going on in the world around us? We need to be thirsting for the presence of God to come into this church. Now, it doesn't mean that if we don't sense the presence of God in such a powerful way that we're just spinning our wheels, wasting our time, whatever, but we should really be familiar with what that is like. If you look at Scripture, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on someone, when the Holy Spirit came into a room, Oh, not only did those people know it, but everyone around them knew it as well. How far we have drifted from that. How far we have, we've become such a, just nice and neat and tidy and, and don't, we don't want to be emotional. We don't want to, to seem weird or, and it's just a shame. I go to I go to, I watch sometimes football games or basketball games just enough to get so frustrated by the amount of passion and absolute, uh, the, the spirit of, of cheering for that team, of getting excited when they, when they score a goal or, or, or make a basket or, or win the game. I mean, this, these people are, it's like they're crazy. And then I, we come into church on a Sunday morning to, to worship the God of the universe who has saved us, who has given his only son to die so that we can trust in him and be forgiven of our sins. And we come in here and we're just so dead. And listen, I'm not just talking about Life Point Church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We're losing the sense of reality of who our God is. Now, I am definitely one of order. All of, our, all of the elders of this church, we are never going to allow chaos and fleshly stuff go on in this church. It's not going to happen. And the person who tries to stir that up is going to be surprised about how we step in. But that's not who our God is. When the Holy Spirit moves, there can be order. 
But if you look at every time the Holy Spirit moves in Scripture, oh, there's something tangible that, that comes from that. Tangible. And one of the tangible things is a person is made a new creature. The person is, is, has surgery. That hard, stony heart is removed and God puts in a heart of flesh. One true sign of someone who's being, who, who God is moving on him and working in their lives is a softness, a softness, a coming to tears easily. If I, if I am in the presence of God, all I can do is blubber like a big baby and just, it's a mess, but it's genuine. I'm not one to just go about crying. But there's something about the presence of God that does that. Now, some people react differently. We see lots of different examples in Scripture when the, when the presence of God comes on someone and, and what then, how that is manifested in that person. Lots of different ways. But one thing we, will, we know, there's holiness because he's the spirit of holiness. He's the Holy Spirit. There's holiness, and where you don't see holiness, you need to question what's going on. And then there's a redirecting of a person's heart towards God and a softening of that heart. So those four things, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Let's quickly talk about this next part of this statement, going backwards. If you look in a dictionary uh, at the word passionate, you'll see something like this, showing or expressing strong beliefs, interest, or enthusiasm. Now, we, in our statement, it says, raise up spiritually passionate followers of Christ. Now, I don't want you to get confused about when we say spiritually, because some people have this tendency to... When, if I say spiritually passionate, oh, well, that means just kind of on the inside. Just kind of keep it right in here, nice and neat. It's, no one else needs to really know about it. It's spiritual. And that is, that is so not the way uh, of, of, that's kind of a Greek way of thinking. That was brought into, but if you go back into the people of God, you will see that there's not the separation of, the, the physical and spiritual, there, it's, this, this, it's all blended together. Uh, and I think that's as it should be. So when we say spiritually passionate, think of it this way. Passion that is anchored in spirit and truth. So to be passionate is to show or express strong beliefs, interest, or enthusiasm. Now, notice the showing or expressing. If you think about it, listen, passion that is unexpressed has no use or value. There's no use for it. There's no value in that. Its existence is meaningless. Let's say, uh, wives, imagine a husband who rarely spends time with his wife, rarely helps around the house, Rarely reads her emails and text messages to him. 
rarely says any affirming or complimentary words to her, and rarely talks to anyone about her. Don't anyone elbow your husband. Now, let me ask you, wives, would you say that husband is passionate about loving his wife? I think it's a very clear, simple answer. No. There's nothing that he is showing or expressing that would indicate he is passionate about loving his wife. Passion that is unexpressed is meaningless. So passion must be shown or expressed to have meaning. And to be a passionate follower of Christ means others will know it. They will know of your passion in a tangible way. So passion, we need to realize that passion is not just an attribute that you either have or you don't have. And perhaps some people make the mistake of thinking of it that way. Either I have passion or I don't and there's not much I can do about it. That's not, that's not correct. You can actually choose to have passion. Think of it this way. You can choose to build a fire, correct? Now, it takes work to prepare it. It usually starts with a, a small flame, but you then nurture that flame by protecting it so the wind doesn't snuff it out or something doesn't fall on it. So you protect that little flame. You begin to stoke it, giving it more oxygen. You're stoking that flame. And then you continue to add fuel to help it grow bigger and hotter. Once it's burning strong, then it's easy to maintain. And it serves as a source of light and heat for all who are near. Not only that, but you can then transfer those burning flames or embers easily to others who are in need of a fire. So when you think about passion, I want you to think about it that way. Passion can be built. Passion and especially passion for following Christ, should be built. Now, there are going to be times where the Holy Spirit, like we've just been talking about, will come and basically throw lighter fluid on your fire. And you've got a roaring fire. And I think Paul, when he talks about be filled with the Spirit, it's a continuous, present tense be filled and continue to be filled because lighter fluid can, can burn big but quickly. And I think that going back, thirsting for more is important. But passion can be built. We can learn to build and maintain passion for following Christ, anchored in spirit and truth and burning brightly for all to see. Now that's going to look different for different people. But some things will be consistent. One is getting in God's word. I mean, this is, we, we repeat this over and over again, but how can you be a follower of Christ if, if, if you're not learning from him? Now, you're coming here, you're learning from us, through us, and, but that's not enough. 
To be a follower of Christ, you are devoting your livelihood. Your life is devoted to learning about the rabbi, learning about Jesus, who he is, what's his character, what did he teach, how did he interact with people, what made him mad, what made him compassionate. All of those things can be found in here. And the things that aren't in here, the Holy Spirit can help bring better and greater understanding. But it starts here as our plumb line of truth. And if it doesn't line up with this, you need to be very, very careful. But this is, this is one way to be adding fuel to that fire, stoking those flames. But there's other ways. Listening to music. Listen, music, there is a powerful element to music. And so music has the, the ability to, to influence and um, motivate and help you focus. But we, we should be very careful about what music and what it's trying to get us to focus on, obviously. And, and, and young people, not just young people, old people too. If you think the music you listen to is not influencing you, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. So be intentional about the music that you listen to. Now, some people, they can have it or leave it as far as music is concerned. I love music. And, and if I, that's one of those things, it's like a log I can put on the fire. It's like I can stoke the fire with music, the, the, the fire, the passion within me. Now, it doesn't mean that that's superficial, but now you can't just rely always on music because then you're just, you have to be in a concert every time if you want to worship. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's music that can help focus your heart and your mind on God. There's music that can help encourage your spirit to rise up in you and to fight the fight, to stand firm against what the enemy's trying to do. And so there's, there's music. Music can serve that purpose. There's other things. There's there's rubbing shoulders with other believers, sharpening one another, testifying, opening your mouth and, and giving your testimony or, or speaking God's word to someone. You know, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit moves, often scripture talks about the Holy Spirit as a, uh, a fountain of living water. And if you think about water that's moving, you know, living water, I mean, Scripture even talks about the, the mistake of trying to, to collect that water in a cistern. It just doesn't work that way. The cisterns often will leak, and that's just not what God intended. God intended for there, it to be a living flow of His Spirit. But what happens to a, a creek, let's say, when you, when you dam that up? So when you dam that up where there's no flowing out of that water, it begins to create a, a little lake or pond. And what happens to the water then, eventually as it gets big enough, the water's not stirring anymore, it becomes stagnant, starts to grow algae and things, and that water becomes unhealthy water. And it doesn't bring life. So if we look at our lives as Listen, I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to pour into me, but am I allowing that Spirit to flow through me? Are you opening your mouth and speaking 
that passion from within? Are you opening your mouth and speaking God's truth? Are you giving your testimony? Are you um, going out and serving? Are you uh, whatever, the, whatever the, it might be that you're doing in the Spirit, that's a way of the Spirit flowing into you and then out. Because that's really what, that's what's so significant about the new covenant is that God has now given us His Spirit to actually fill us from within and to flow out from us. Now, I'm not just talking like, Figuratively, like just, you know, imagine that. No, 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 there's actually a reality to the presence of God. I, I remember when I had a, a guy, uh, his name was Elmo, and, and we, he's, he came to here. He, he was, a, I wouldn't say homeless. He had, a, he had a place where he lived, but it was, not a, it was not a great place. Anyway, he was a great, great guy and, I lost touch after we went to England and stuff, but I'd, I'd love to see him again. But we spent a lot of time together. And one time we went, he wanted us to go to visit a friend. And this friend was kind of shut in, doesn't get out much, an older, older man. And I didn't know much about this guy. And we went over to his house, and, and Elmo just wanted us to go. And we went over to his house, and this guy came out and starts talking to us. We start talking. And we start talking about the Lord. And as I'm talking, I begin sensing the presence of God. I, I mean, we were talking about the Lord, but I didn't, there was not, we were just on the front porch, it's daylight, it's, you know, I wasn't, the mood was not, but I just began sensing the Spirit of God. And I'm looking at this guy who I don't know, and it doesn't look like he gets out much. And he's beginning to, tears begin to come down his face. And I see his water, his eyes are watering, he's beginning to tear. And he says to me, he says, whew, I feel the presence of God here. I didn't even know this guy was necessarily a believer. But it was so encouraging to me just to hear that confirmation of the presence of God that I was sensing was here with us, he was sensing as well. And come to find out, he is a believer. He doesn't get to go to church much, but he just began to, to just cry because of the presence of the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit wants to move not only in you, but through you. Through you. But if we, if we create that dam, we just block up the, the flow the water is going to become stagnant and it's useless. It's not doing anyone downstream any good. And so if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you've got to open up the gates. You've got to begin letting that out. Whether it's standing up here, listen, I know for myself, I'm sure I can say this for Phil too, this is one way that we are able to allow God's, what God's doing in us in preparing or doing in us in, in, in various ways, we, we're able to stand up here and open our mouths and, and begin to allow the Spirit, hopefully the Spirit and not our flesh, begin to flow through us. I'm blessed to have the opportunity to do that. Phil's blessed to have the opportunity to do that. That's a, a way for us to do that. Not everyone's going to be able to stand up here. Worship team, you're able to do that. If you don't think God's, God anoints musicians and singers, of course He does. And you can sense it when you're in worship, 
when God is anointing them. But opening your mouths and singing and playing, uh, the, applying your gifts to those instruments is a way of that Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. It can be at work and what God has gifted you and anointed you to do at work. It can be sharing your story, your testimony with someone. It can be feeding the poor or uh, the hungry or helping someone who's been hurt. There's just so many things. But what that is, is that's you allowing the Spirit to flow through you to others. Because when we bring God's presence into a situation, that's what makes all the difference in the world. And so coming together here, we should be thirsting for God to fill us again afresh, anew, so that we can allow that flow to go through us as we go out and interact with the world. Last thing I want to focus on is the raising up part. And just, just briefly, the goal of passionately following Christ is to become like him and to live out that likeness towards others. But becoming like Christ is a process that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So to raise up passionate followers of Christ is an investment by all of us who are involved. And it requires intentionality, but the rewards are well worth it. So as we are seeking God for a reset, and I, don't, I want all of us to be seeking God. And listen, if this is not your church home, that's okay. God wants to apply these same principles for you wherever you end up joining, whatever body you end up joining. Join a body so that you become a very important member. They need you there. But this applies to all of us. If we're going to make this our purpose, this is something we all do. This is not on us as the leaders, the elders. It's not on us. We have a part to play. We have a role. But it's for the equipping of you to then go out and be the body of Christ. But those four things that we talked about involves all of us being intentional and carrying that out. So I have three questions for you. Are you, LifePoint Church, willing to support this purpose? Secondly, are you willing to start with yourself? In other words, are you willing to start by building a fire and helping yourself rise up as a passionate follower of Christ? And then lastly, are you willing to do this together? You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.